You're listening to the Life in Christ Church podcast, your place for life-changing messages that will build your faith and propel your life. If you enjoyed today's message, why don't you be a blessing and share it with a friend? And so, like I just uh, said a few minutes ago, one of the things that will build your faith like nothing else is an understanding of covenant. And so, as Pastor Joe gets into that, I'm going to kind of, this kind of will segue, it's kind of a finishing touch on what we talked about last time on the blood, and a segue into what we're going to be talking to, talking about covenant. Covenant. And so, last time we talked about different elements of why the blood of Jesus is so important. I talked about natural blood, that if you look at natural blood, there's some parallels between natural, the natural function of blood in our bodies and what the blood of Jesus does for us, how it carries life. Life is in the blood. Well, the blood that Jesus poured out for us brings life to us, has imparted eternal life to us how it carries oxygen and nutrients and, and cells, uh, antibodies, to, nutrients to the cells and antibodies to fight infection and to protect your body. And it carries away waste products. So it, there's a purification element that our blood, our natural blood has. And it regulates and it keeps the body in balance. And um, we, the same is true with the blood of Jesus. And so if we go to... Um, to, to Hebrews, you know what? Can you do me a favor? I didn't save on there. Can you grab my laptop? I'm just going to go off my laptop. Hebrews 13.20, it kind of gives you a rundown that ties into all of those things, those functions. So I'm going to turn there, and I'm going to read it to you. Hebrews 13.20, and I like it in the, in the Amplified, classic, It says, may the God of peace who brought again from among the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood that sealed the everlasting agreement, may he strengthen, complete, perfect, make you what you ought to be, and equip you with everything good that you may carry out his will while he himself works in you and accomplishes that which is pleasing in his sight. This is, it says that God does this through the blood of the everlasting covenant. What does he do? That blood strengthens you, brings strength to you. Just like your blood, the function of your blood will strengthen your body, carry oxygen, carry nutrients. The blood of Jesus brings strength into your spirit, gives you what you need to be able to thrive in God. The blood of Jesus, it says it will complete and perfect you. There's a pure, that purifying element. It purges out what is wrong. I love to say that there, there is nothing in me that the blood of Jesus will not cleanse. I love to say that. Nothing, no place in me that it won't reach, that it won't change. And so, and then it says that it makes us, you want to switch? What we ought to be makes us what we ought to be, what you ought to be in God, what you ought to be as a believer, 
what you ought to be as a mother or a father or what you ought to be as a, a husband or a wife or a daughter or a son. It will make you, faith in the blood of Jesus will make you what you ought to be. Pastor Mark always says this, and it just always, I always need to hear it. It's not about trying harder. Not trying harder. So many times, like, I just got to try harder. I got to try harder to do better. I got to try harder to, 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 to be strong, to do this, to that. It's about receiving the word better and, allow, and, and, and believing in that word. But the better you receive the word and the better you receive the Holy Spirit, the more that these things will actually, God, be an output of the work of God in your life. Does that encourage anybody the way it encourages me? That I don't have to just try harder to fix the things that are wrong with me. I just need to receive the word better. I just need to receive what God has said and put my, my focus and my confidence in what God is. The work of God, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. By the blood of the everlasting covenant, he will strengthen you, complete you, perfect you, make you what you ought to be, give you everything you need to carry out his will. What do you need to carry out his will? I need more discipline, or I need more, more strength, or I need more courage, I need more boldness. The blood, faith in the blood <laughs> will accomplish that in you. Give you what you need to step out. To, to what, what do you need? I mean, even finances. We need finances to accomplish the will of God. That is a work of the blood. The blood, because what? It's tied into this thing called covenant. And so we, we also talked about how the blood of Jesus, we know in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it talks about how through the blood of Jesus, we've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. He's delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven by the blood. And forgiveness is so much bigger than just being, saying like, oh, yeah, okay. It's not just a verbal thing. The power of God's forgiveness forgiveness in our lives. I mean, it releases us from the cycle of sin. It breaks its ability to tyrannize over us. And it, it, it even releases the blessing, healing, and all of those things that God is, it has provided through the atonement is released through his forgiveness. When we receive that forgiveness, we got to receive it. And you can't really receive his forgiveness if you're not forgiving yourself. So you've got to forgive yourself for the mistakes of the past, the things that we forgive each other. But part of forgiveness is forgiving ourselves. If God forgave us, then what, we're not greater than he. And if God has the power to put it out of his memory, how much more can the blood heal the memory of the past in our lives? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so forgiveness is in the blood. Remission of sins. We know remission is the 
listen to this, remission of sins. And that, that's the, a word that is translated interchangeably with forgiveness and remission. You'll find the same word translated into those two words in the New Testament. And remission means the cancellation of penalty and the removal of guilt. Hallelujah. Cancellation of penalty. Sin does have a penalty. But through the blood of Jesus, there is a cancellation of that penalty. When you come to the cross, when you come to that crimson flow of the blood, there is a cancellation of penalty and a removal of guilt. Some things, man, that stain of guilt might try to, you, it might try to stick to you through the years, try to, to make you always remember what has happened. But there is one thing that can wash that away, remove the consciousness of the failures and the sin that has been in your past and it is the blood of Jesus when you're struggling with guilt struggling with feeling unworthy and condemned you go to that blood father I thank you that I am washed in the blood that the blood is greater than all of the sins and failures of the past past present and future it reaches throughout all of eternity, and it is forever present before the Father in, in heaven, and there's a voice that cries out on your behalf when you access it, when you make, that's why, you know, I've heard people say, oh, well, plead the blood is not a biblical term. We're just basically saying we're putting our faith in the blood of Jesus. That's all that means. How do you plead when the accuser is accusing you and, and standing before the Father or before you telling you all the reasons why you are disqualified to receive from God or to walk in his blessings? How do you respond? You respond with, say, there's nothing, <laughs> you respond with the blood. I plead the blood. I, my response is not, not, not one thing, but that his blood was shed for me. That's the basis. That's, the, you know, when, when you, uh, you know, if, if Peter's standing at the gates of heaven, like they say in, 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 in the stories, what, what, what reason do you have to answer? It's not because you were a good person. It's not because you tried to do right. It's not because you, of anything but one thing, the blood of Jesus was shed for me. That is your immediate access into heaven and into the blessings of God for your life. The blood is what qualifies you. And so uh, in Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, the cancellation of penalty, and the removal of guilt. Through that blood in Colossians 1.21, it says that he made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself. Hallelujah. Reconciling means to bring into alignment, to make consistent with one another. We've been brought into alignment even to be made consistent with God as his children, with his nature, with his... With, with his uh, Dominion over sin. <laughs> he did that for us through the blood of Jesus. And so, covenant, he talks there, the blood of my the new covenant. What does covenant mean? The blood, part of the, the great significance of the blood of Jesus is because it is the blood of a covenant. 
Covenant is the master theme of the Bible. In fact, if you'll define testament, we talk about the word of God, we know that it's divided into Old Testament and New Testament. What does testament mean? It actually means covenant. It means covenant. So we're talking about when we look at the word of God, it's an old covenant and a new covenant. If you translate it, the whole Bible, the whole interaction of mankind with God the Father is covenant. Covenant is a binding agreement. It's a legal contract that cannot be broken. And the root word of covenant means to cut until the blood flows. That's actually what the definition of that original word means, to cut until the blood flows. So it involved blood. The word of God as a covenant, it means it's an unbreakable agreement and an unbreakable contract that God has chosen to make with humanity. And if you don't really understand covenant and this concept of God entering into this with mankind, you won't even have faith in the word of God the way that, that we are to have, to have faith in it. Because it's covenant when you understand that this is an oath from God that he cannot break. He cannot break. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. He even said in, uh, I think it's Psalm, I've pulled it up here, Psalm 89.34. He said, my covenant, I will not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. So for you to fully, for us to fully give the word of God the weight and the value that we, that we need to give it, we've got to understand covenant. And we've got to understand that this is a covenant. The old covenant was made in the blood of animals, but this new covenant was sworn in his own blood. Swore it in his own blood. Throughout the, even outside of the Bible, you look at early cultures, civilizations, they all had a form of this that was practiced. Where they would, when they really wanted to make an oath that carried weight, they would swear, they would go through these procedures of making a covenant and they would swear it in blood. They would swear it in blood. And so... Let's look at a couple of things. You, if, you, if you look up the word covenant, you find the first place that, that you can find the actual word is in Genesis 9. He told Noah, he said, I'll establish my covenant with you. I'll remember it. This covenant with Noah involved protection from judgment and a promise to never again destroy the earth by flood. And we know that the symbol of that is the rainbow. He said he would place his rainbow in the sky. He made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. So I'm going to kind of go through fast so you could jot these down if you want to look, at it, look them up later. But I'm going to go pretty fast through these. But in, in Genesis 15, he made a covenant with Abraham. And it involved a land transfer. He promised land. He said, I'm going to give you the land. He was going to transfer land from people that were outside of the covenant to people who, to his covenant partner. It involved multiplication. He said, I will multiply you. 
I will multiply you. It involved fruitfulness. Don't put that up there yet. I'm not quite there yet. It involved fruitfulness and influence. It involved a change of name or identity. So Abraham went from Abram to Abraham. And it involved cutting until blood was shed through the act of circumcision. The circumcision was an act of covenant that was a mark that showed that he has a binding agreement. And it wasn't just with man, it was with Almighty God. Almighty God. In Deuteronomy, uh, of course, uh, oh, in, in Exodus 2. Exodus 2, it, it says when the people of Israel were in slavery, that God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with their forefathers. And this covenant that he remembered, that he was brought to remembrance with the, that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this binding agreement caused him, compelled him to bring them out of bondage at all cost. He resolved they were coming out. A whole nation of people brought out from slavery because of a covenant that had been made with their forefathers. He brought them out with silver, with gold. It says there was not one feeble among them. Those were all covenant results. They came out with wealth transfer and with health. They were healthy. Oh, it's just a health and wealth gospel. This was not my idea. God is the one who laid this out. We're not just manufacturing, oh, yeah, you're healthy and well. He, he, he issued this as part of his covenant agreement with his people. If you will serve the Lord your God, I will bless your bread and your water. I will take sickness from your midst. I, there will nothing cast your young, nor be, this is a covenant thing. It's not some kind of health and wealth stick. It's a covenant sworn in blood. Health and wealth wand that we're waving and trying to. No, you don't understand covenant. And he would continue to talk to them about this over the years. He even talked about when he gave the law. He said, this is the law of the covenant. In, in Deuteronomy 7, 9, he says, therefore, know the Lord your God. He is God. The faithful God which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Covenant. Our God is a covenant. It was his idea. He decided to make covenant, make agreement, and he decided, I will not break it. Remember that verse I read you? My covenant will not I break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. These are the words of God. And so then we have the components of covenant, so you can put that up. The components of covenant, and these were different things that would have to do with this process of making a covenant. So, again, we're not going to go take a lot of time with this, but you can see I, one of the things that jumped out at me right away was like, oh, marriage covenant. Promises made, vows, blood sacrifice. Well, we don't do blood sacrifices in marriage, but... <laughs> but <laughs> What they would do when they would make these covenants, the blood sacrifice, there would always be the death of an animal. They would sacrifice an animal, and, and it's a little gory, but they would split this animal in half. And this was part of the covenant thing, and you can see it happen with Abraham in the book of Genesis. 
where the, he split the animal in half and, 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 and they would leave a, a path between them, a bloody path between these two animals that they would walk through as they, res, as they made these vows to each other. And part of what they would say is, may this be done to me if I break this covenant. May my enemies cut me in half and walk between me. And God did this with Abraham. Can you imagine that? Almighty God, the sovereign God of the universe, walked between the two pieces of Abraham as a means of demonstrating how serious he was about his commitment and his promises to Abraham that he would even say, but should I break this? May this be done to me. And it says he put Abraham to sleep and there was a burning furnace that walked between the pieces of that sacrifice. And it was God Almighty walked there, making covenant with Abraham. This is like, whoo. When you understand covenant, your faith, you don't, it, it doesn't even, you don't even have to struggle for that. When you understand that God has sworn to that degree to you through the blood of Jesus. And then, and then it says that, uh, of course, they would recite blessings and cursings. We know Deuteronomy 28 is that, the blessings. If you, these are the blessings of the covenant. These are the curses of the covenant. If it's broken, man, it is not going to go well. <laughs> but man, when it's kept, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed the fruit of your body, blessed the fruit of everything you put your hand to. When this covenant is intact, blessings are, whoa, and Abraham, I mean, he multiplied so. He got so, uh, he increased that, I mean, he caught the attention of kings. And why did that happen? It was because of this covenant that he had with Almighty God. Then there was the mingling of blood. A lot of times they would cut fingers and they would mingle blood. Uh, there's the exchange of names. So a lot of this does, you see that a lot of these things in marriage. Exchange of gifts. There's a covenant meal, which would include bread and wine. Now, who else do we know that did that? Jesus. He took that covenant meal right before he went to the cross. It was a part of this new covenant being done, being formed with us. When he sat at that communion table with his disciples, he was going through covenant process with them, saying that you're about to come into a new covenant. Oh, and that old one had a lot of great things about it, but it didn't even compare to this new one. And you know what he did in this new one? He kind of did a bit of that with Abraham because he put Abraham to sleep. He didn't even let Abraham walk between it. He basically just said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this. In the new covenant, it's exactly what he did. He went and he just went ahead and made a covenant with himself through Jesus. He placed us in Jesus and he cut this covenant, made this vow, made this eternal agreement between him and himself so that it could not be broken anymore. Because he doesn't break it. In the Old Testament, you could break it. But if you're in Christ in this New Testament, this covenant becomes unbreakable. In Christ, it's unbreakable because God will not break covenant nor alter the thing that has gone out of his lips. 
unbreakable. And then there was a witness or memorial made. And those were all parts of covenant. The last thing I want to tell you about covenant, and this was what actually, ma'am, Brother Copeland, if there's one thing that Brother Copeland really carries, it's this covenant reality with him. When he talks about the covenant, he talked about this thing called hesed. There's different words in the Bible that when you see them, they should trigger you to think covenant. Even when it talks about the faithfulness of God, that's covenant. What is he faithful to? He's faithful to his covenant, to what he has promised, to that oath that he has made. Faithfulness, mercy. Mercy is a covenant word. Loving kindness is a covenant word. So when you see these, it's not just about like, oh, how nice. God feels bad for me. And he's making, you know, kindness isn't just well wishes and a pat on the back and speaking sweetly to us. The kindness of God is so much greater than just what we understand kindness to be. The word has said has no English equivalent, but it's translated. Most of the places that you see mercy translated in the Bible, it's talking about this word has said. Loving kindness is this word has said. And it describes the covenant mercy and faithfulness of God, his commitment to covenant and the love that he has for his covenant people. So when we say for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever, we're talking about his commitment to his covenant to you endures forever. His mercies never come to an end. His commitment to his covenant with you never ends. It's eternal. It's not just, not, you know, God is a merciful God, but there's a lot of people that don't experience the mercies of God. They're experiencing judgment. They're experiencing turmoil. They're experiencing all sorts of hell in their lives. But when you tie into covenant, when you begin, when you, when you become a willing participant of this covenant, you access what is called the hesed or mercy of God. That is, 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 is it's like a driving passion to fulfill what the covenant has been that, that covenant that has been issued. The, one of the best examples you can have for it is the example of David in the Bible. We know he made a covenant with Jonathan. And when Jonathan passed away, David was there and he started to, to ask his people, he said, is there anybody that I can find of the house of Jonathan so that I can show kindness of God to them? He was driven by this memory of this covenant that he had made. That even though Jonathan had gone, had passed away, he still felt this drive that I've got to find somebody related to him so I can do something for them to be, demonstrate my covenant that I had made. It was serious to him. He said, is there not any of the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to him? And that kindness there is his said. That word has said that it ties into covenant. And so what did David do? They went and they found Mephibosheth who had been in hiding from David. He was lame. He had been dispossessed of all that he had, uh, his, his, you know, his royal rights because David was now king. And when David found him, 
I mean, he was probably scared. He probably thought his life was in danger. And David came and he restored everything, the land, the servants, the things that had belonged to him. And he brought them to his table and said, you're going to sit here and eat from my table like you were my own son. Because of the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. That's the kind of drive that has said connotates. The mercy of God is the drive of God to demonstrate his covenant love and commitment to you. It is so important to him. It is so paramount to him that he will, he's just looking for somebody who will take him at his covenant. Somebody who will say, who call on the mercy. When they called on the mercy of Jesus and, and they called on him as a son of David, you, you see in the Bible, he stopped. When the, the, the blind man said, son of David, have mercy on me, it arrested him. Because they were calling on covenant. So many times our prayers are weak and, and empty because we have no basis, no concept of covenant. Where if we knew, if we came with the consciousness of this covenant that God has made with us, it would change our voice. It would change how we pray. It would change how we approach God. Because of covenant. God decided he would oblige himself. He was, he, was, he was determined to enter into this binding, unbreakable agreement with you. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the words that have gone forth out of my mouth. And he says, I mean, and when you get these like strong statements, Hebrews, he says, surely, surely, I, you know, I will not, I will not, I will not. That is a covenant tie right there. He's saying, I will not, I will not, I will not leave you helpless. It's covenant. His passion, his drive for that covenant. This whole Bible is covenant. So how do we access this covenant in our lives? How do we access it? <laughs> if we're not constantly feeding ourselves on this, building our faith in the power of the blood, this blood of Jesus that sealed the everlasting covenant. It's the blood of the covenant. He swore it in his own blood. His promise to you. It gives you some audacity. I mean, in this covenant, when they would cut covenant, they would say, all my resources are available to you. Your battles your enemies, my enemies, my battles. You call on me, you have an enemy coming against you, I'm there. And, and, and it doesn't matter if your army's weak. I, if I got a strong army, you're set. Because <laughs> we're in covenant. You need something, you're, you got the creditors coming after you. If I've got the resources, they're yours. Mine is yours. You need it, you call on it, it's yours. So what happens when God Almighty says this to you? This isn't some covenant with, you know, some country. This is God of the universe who's saying, your enemies, my enemies. You need help? Somebody comes against you? They're coming against me. You have, re you have needs? You, what do you need? My resources belong to you. But you've got to know about your covenant. 
and it's done by faith. So when we don't know, we just let all these rights, all of these things that he has sworn in blood slip through our fingers. So how do we access this? You know, the ways of accessing the covenant are the things that we need to be reminded of more than anything else. Why is that? Because it's what makes us lethal. It's what makes us lethal. If you'll know your covenant and you'll do these, I'm going to talk about two things that, we're about to talk, that, that I'm about to, to tell you. If you'll know your covenant and do these two things, you'll be unstoppable. But the thing that our enemy always does is tries to cut us off in these two areas. And you probably, maybe you can have a good guess of what area number one is, and it's our mouth. Our mouth. Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. So that's covenant right there. High priest. They were administrators of the covenant in the Old Testament. They would apply the blood over the people so that they could be forgiven, so that their sins could be cleansed, so that they could be blessed. The high priest was the administrator of the covenant. So it's saying now, talking about covenant, we've got a great high priest who is Jesus, passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, what we're saying. Confession. It is to say the same thing or to agree with. And, 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 and if you look in Strong's, one of the definitions of confession actually has the word covenant. Covenant acknowledge. Acknowledge the covenant, not just in your mind. You've got to acknowledge it out loud. That's how you access the covenant, with your mouth. That's why he's telling you, hold fast to your confession. Is this just a good thing to do? No, there is a, there's a, an urgency in that. Hold fast. What does that mean? That means things are going to come to get you to let it go. That means that sometimes it's going to be easy and it's, or it might be hard to hold fast to it. When everything's coming at you, it, 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 it's easy to just release it. Let it go. And he's saying, no, hold fast. You've got a high priest that is passed into the heavens. Hold fast to this. Make, acknowledge your covenant. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. When you see the word faithful, it's, an, it, it's tying into covenant. Faithful to his covenant. He won't let it go. God is faithful. You know, with our words, with our words, we're either acknowledging the faithfulness of God or we're agreeing with feelings that say he's not, basically. When we, when we start to complain, when we start to, when we allow discouragement and, 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 and allow ourselves to wallow, get to those places, we're basically letting go of his faithfulness. We're saying, no, he, he's not faithful in this. Oh, man, we've got to hold fast to that. 
hold fast to it, man. It's just a death grip where you say, I'm not letting go of what I say, of what I believe, of the fact that God is faithful. It may not look like he's working. It may not look like anything is changing, but I know I've got a covenant with God and it is impossible. It is impossible that he would not come through. Holding fast. Holding fast to what he has said. Agreeing with him. Romans 10, 10, this is how we access all salvation. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and we confess with our mouth. Confess is the same word in all of those verses. Agree with God. This is how salvation in every area of your life. You need healing. You need help. You need rescuing. You need provision. What do you need salvation? That word sozo that is translated into saved, it it covers all of that. To do well, to be protected, to be happy, to be healed, to have, have wholeness in your body. When you go to the Greek... It covers all of that. And all of those things are accessed not just by believing in the heart, but by speaking with the mouth, agreeing with God out loud, out of your mouth. And the greatest thing, I mean, you don't know where to start. The greatest thing you can start with is just saying, Jesus is Lord. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Because what are you saying when you say Jesus is Lord? You're saying he's victor. You're saying that he overcame every situation, every obstacle, every problem. You're saying, acknowledging he's Lord over your feelings, Lord over your mind. He is victor over everything that could ever come against you. Jesus is Lord. Undefeated, undisputed champion. Over all of hell and every work of darkness, he defeated it all. It wasn't a close call. He didn't come out limping. He came out in a blaze of victory with the keys of life and death in his hands. He triumphed over them, made a show of them openly. The day of Satan's humiliation, the greatest humiliation he has ever experienced. When you say Jesus is Lord, you take him right back to that. To that moment of defeat, to that moment of shame, to that moment of completely imploding. And that's what Jesus did. He imploded death. He entered into the death experience as a man and destroyed it from within. And every part of it that used to have the ability to rule and reign over us or to control our lives was completely destroyed. Now the only power that it has is the power that we give it or our silence. We can lose through silence. Our silence is negligence, and we can be defeated through negligence. You can get arrested on negligence, right? You can get fined in court off of negligence. You can lose your battles through negligence. Not even, sometimes you're like, well, I won't say that, but what are you saying? Are you agreeing with God out loud? Are you opening your mouth and agreeing with God, acknowledging That's how you access your covenant. This is a huge part of your life of faith. It's a huge part of your walk with God. Learning how to win the battle 
of words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death. You know, God calls us things for which there's no evidence that they exist apart from the word of God. Called Gideon, mighty man of valor when he was hiding in a wine press. He calls you. He calls you. (laughs) What does he call you? (laughs) He calls you victorious. He calls you courageous, faithful, able, qualified, worthy. He calls you those things when you don't look anything like it. Calls those things that be not as though they were. That's how God operates. And the other thing to remember, the last thing I'll say about confession is, Sometimes we've gotten in the rut of letting our confession make us be confession conscious. Okay, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it 50 times. I mean, we got into that rut. People have gotten into that rut before. So (laughs) the auctioneer, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm wealthy. I mean, that's that's not what this is about. We're agreeing with the word of God. And in Hebrews 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. What we say is to make us conscious of who he is. What we say is to boast in him, in his ability, in his power, in his greatness, in his covenant-keeping faithfulness. And then here's covenant protocol number two. And we see an example of this when David brought the Ark of the Covenant successfully back into Jerusalem. It says in 2 Samuel 6.12. I'm going to just turn there. 2 Samuel 6.12. David went up and brought the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And it says that he, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen. So he's tying right into the blood right there. Blood covenant. He's going to the covenant. And how is he ushering this ark of the covenant into his home, he, uh, into his, the city of David? He's doing it by looking at the blood, making a big deal about this covenant with God and with gladness. He danced before the Lord with all of his might with shouting, with the sound of the trumpet, leaping and whirling. I'm skipping down to 16. Leaping and whirling. This is how Michael saw him. Leaping and whirling before the Lord. And of course, she didn't like that very much. (laughs) But he, covenant protocol. He acknowledged the blood, and he rejoiced. He rejoiced. I know we don't like to hear that word when we're going through something. It's like, we don't want to say anything. We just want to, and we don't want to smile for sure, and we certainly don't want to rejoice. I'm having a bad day. You know, we've all been there, right? It's not saying anything. We're thinking, we're thinking in our head and thinking all these discouraging thoughts in our countenance. And, and you've just, right there, you've just laid down your weapons. This is not a suggestion. Pastor Mark said this. This is not a suggestion. This is a battle plan. Hold 
fast to your confession and consider it all joy when you enter into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. James 1, 2, and 4. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. What are the trials that come against you? It could be simple. It could be huge. We've all had them. It could be anything from a burnt casserole to a bad doctor's report, right? It's a trial trying to steal our joy, right? And if we let it, because honestly, you can let something very minor start the process of stealing your joy and taking you right into defeat. That's why he says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Maybe you got to look around and count joy one, joy two, joy three, joy, joy, joy. I'm rejoicing over every one of those things. That the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This rejoicing is an act of faith. It does take time. There's patience involved, a tenacity involved. It is not based on personality. So just because one person has an upbeat personality and another person says, well, I'm just more melancholy, this is not uh, addressed to just one personality type. We have all been given the command to rejoice. (laughs) If the enemy can steal your joy, your faith will not function properly. That's a missing component. Sometimes people are standing on the word of God, but there's no joy. And guess what? Their faith is not functioning properly without joy. Joy is a harvesting factor. We shall, we shall go out with joy, be led forth. No, wait, what is the one I'm thinking of? That's not the one. Harvest and joy. Those that sow in tears will reap with joy. Joy is a harvesting factor. And, of course, we know with joy we draw from the wells of salvation. So all the things that are in the wells, what do you need? Answers, help, strength, supply. All of those things are drawn through joy. So when the enemy is trying to steal your joy, it's not just a bad day. He is going after your destiny. He's going after your strength. He's going after your victory. Because he can, he can uh, cripple your faith if you let go of your joy. That's why we sing so much about it. I've got joy down in my soul. I've got peace that won't let go. I'm not giving it up. I'm stirring those wells. I'm choosing to rejoice. Rejoice is an act of my will. It's not something I feel. But when I act on my will, the Holy Spirit takes hold together with me. And joy, rivers of joy will flow. You'll jump into that river, the river that moves aside the obstacles, carries away the river of joy. Hallelujah. We know, Pastor Mark always likes to to reference Psalm 2. About every time we go down there, we get a whole, at least one session that is just driving this home. Serve the Lord with gladness. Joy in in everything that you do. Rejoicing, letting your countenance (laughs) show, change of the countenance. But in Psalm 2, you know, it says so many times people think that it's not spiritual to laugh 
But yet God sits in the heavens, and Psalm 2, it says he laughs. He laughs. And it sounds like that's pretty much taking place all the time. Why? Because he's laughing at the threats of his enemies. Sometimes we get threats and we just want to sit down and cry, right? But the, it says the Lord, he doesn't get phased. So we might as well just act like our father, become an imitator of God. And when there is a threat that comes, it says he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord holds them in derision. Who? The, the rulers that are taking counsel against the Lord and his anointing, anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces, cast away their cords from us. They're making all these threats and plans. And God, what does he do? Sits in the heavens and laughs. Oh, what does that sound like? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I mean, I bet the whole place is rumbling with that laughter. <laughs> he sits in the heavens and laughs. I mean, it's got to be something, right? Oh, I don't know. I'm just picturing it. <laughs> so you can't get any more spiritual than God, right? <laughs> so if God is laughing, and, and he calls it, it man, we're just, we're just joining in. We might not know what he's laughing at, <laughs> but when somebody laughs that, 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 you know, when you've got a, you know, if you go visit, some kind of ruler or somebody in a great position, and they start to laugh, you're probably going <laughs> to, don't really know, but <laughs> he thinks it's funny. <laughs> he is laughing. Maybe it's because he knows that he's so much stronger. He knows he's so much wiser. He knows he's so much bigger that you've got this little puny thing making threats, and he's going, ha, 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 And that's what he wants us to do. Threats come against us. He wants us to, you know, I'm just going to join in with God right now. I'm just going to laugh and hold them in derision. <laughs> Hey, this is Pastor Joe, and before you go, I want to pray with you to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is your opportunity to be 100% sure that heaven will be your eternal home. It's very simple. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you mean business with God, he means business with you. I want you to pray this very simple but powerful prayer and mean it with all your heart. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. I believe that you were crucified and God raised you from the dead. I believe that you are the Son of God. I repent of all my sin and I ask for your forgiveness. I give you my life. Do something with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the family of God. The Bible says all the angels in heaven are rejoicing because you just prayed that prayer. The next step is to find a good, strong local church. If you live anywhere near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to join us 
Life in Christ every Sunday at 10 a.m. We have some of the best people on planet Earth. We love you, God bless you, and have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Life in Christ Church Podcast. Help us to continue to share the message of faith with those all over the world. Visit licchurch.com forward slash give to partner with us today.